It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. This is another edition of Frontline Friday with my very special guest, Bridget Gleason. Bridget, how are you this morning? Andy, super. Andy, how are you and where are you? I am fine, and I'm in New York City. Headquarters, world headquarters of the Accelerate Media Empire. And did you really go from Hawaii to New York City? Is that the... That's a, that's yeah, a couple, big time couple, zone. A couple weeks ago we did, yeah. yeah. That's a big time zone shift. Six hours. So it, that'll that'll mess up your sleep. It did. Yeah, it did. It, it took a long time to sort of readjust coming back, but um, it's well worth it. So and beautiful, beautiful in New York right now, isn't it? Uh, it has been actually. We've had some unseasoned. We actually had record highs the last two days, and uh, so this, we're recording this about a month before it actually people are listening to it. Um, yeah, it's it. We had record highs, and um, I think fall now is finally going to take hold today. That's what they're saying. So, sort of late compared to normal years, but you know, who knows what's normal anymore when it comes to the weather? Uh, I know, I know. Who knows what we're in, where you're in store for on the East Coast? Having lived in Boston. Yeah. For a couple of years. And, and then you been escaped. There for a of winters. Yes. Yeah, and I, I was back in Boston last weekend, and God, it was beautiful. Loved it, loved it. It w- Fall hadn't hit, and winter hadn't hit. And Boston is very lovable at that time. Yeah. In, in that period. Boston's lovable anyway, but... Um, anyway, well, good. Glad you're, glad you're caught up on... Time zones and back in beautiful New York. Yeah, raring to go. So today we're going to talk about books. We love talking about books. And Uh, on my my travels, I had time to uh, continue reading (laughs) and uh, just in a a better venue, perhaps. But two books I read recently I thought were very interesting. I wanted to chat with you about. So the first one is a book called Absolute Value. What really influences customers in the age of nearly perfect information, the nearly in parents, nearly perfect information, and written by uh, two authors, uh, Itamar Simonson, who's at Stanford, and another gentleman, uh, Emmanuel Rosen, who I forget where he's from. He may be at Stanford as well. And to me, these are sort of these Gentlemen are sort of the heirs, based on what the writing, sort of the heirs to Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky mm. and other people that, um, uh, you know, real digital pioneering work in behavioral economics and decision science and so on. And what they talk about in their book is just about what the impact has been of information on the way buyers are making decisions. And... Mm. What they're finding is that through their studies and their research and the research of others that they cite is that, yeah, yeah, we may, we may 
but the effect's actually a little different than perhaps than we've been thinking and perhaps hap- happening more quickly than we thought. So one of the things that, that there have been books, like Barry Schwartz wrote a professor from Swarthmore, a great book called The Paradox of Choice, which I really liked, and mm-hmm. others, that one of the theses in those books was that, that um, the influx of information and the the sort of sudden availability of tons of information actually made it harder to choose, not easier. And that people sometimes overwhelmed by information and so on. And what Simonson and and Rosen found through their research and they write about in their book is really just the opposite is happening. And that perhaps there was a rush to judgment by some of these early authors like Schwartz and so on about the impact of what was happening on the internet. And that having sort of 20 years of history now, when they wrote the book and did their, a lot of their studies, is what they're actually finding is that that buyers are able to gain an understanding of what they call the absolute value, which they they define as sort of the the experienced quality or the experienced value of what a product, what it would be like to use a product or service, and what the value and the quality you'd experience as a result of it, without the intercession of the seller. They're saying, yeah, there's all this information out there. But if it was just information, yeah, it'd be hard. But the fact is we have all these tools as buyers at our disposal to help us develop a good enough understanding of the value or the quality of a product to enable us to make a decision. You know, just start with Google, right, as a tool to help us make sense of the data out there. We can start searching, but then there are you know, discussion groups, there are user reviews, there are, you know, expert reviews groups, there are uh, our social networks we can tap, you know, the whole process that people go through to gather information is really winnowing down this vast trove of information down to something that's actionable for them. And so what they found is that rather than buyers being distracted, is actually increasingly effective in this environment in the way they used to find the data they need to make the decision. And all sort of oriented, I think, at one level, with this, again, this term absolute value they used, really to the, the good enough decision, which is the decision that most buyers make, right? Is they're, they're not going to go on forever researching every single possible alternative to make the optimal decision. They're going to go to the point where they have the information that meets their basic criteria. And what they found is that one of the things that's happening, or several things that are happening, is that in this environment, there's a decreased value in the eye of buyers of what they call sort of the proxies of value. A brand name, product positioning, your value proposition, and pricing, and promotion. That actually, the impact of those sort of traditional tools of influence is really on the wane. They haven't gone away. But they're on the wane. And so it's like, Wow, this is this is this is eye-opening for us as sellers. To say, okay, well, yeah, where do we fit into this equation? In order to help the buyer make a decision. Andy, I am tempted to end our podcast and go read the book. <laughs> but like I am so like I'm distracted by by not having read it. Um what did you, I just think it's fascinating. So if you were to identify a couple of things 
that you would do differently or recommend a salesperson? Like, what did you take away from it that you feel is actionable? Or are you still cogitating on kind of what you read? Well, sort of both, actually. And so some of the early takeaways were, for me, were sort of confirmations of experiences that I that I'd had, that opinions that I had, had already even written about in some cases in my books, but you know, arrived at intuitively, and I said experientially as opposed to being data based, um, you know, based on research. And one of these was this this whole notion of the fact that that people begin their buying journey long before they engage with a seller. Now, there's this is a, a point that I know there's controversy about it. Uh, you know, you've got folks at CEB who wrote the Challenger books about, hey, buyers are 57% of the way through their buying process before they engage with sellers. Uh, other studies from like Serious Insights and others are Serious Decisions and others that saying, yeah, you know, that's not true. It's much less than that. And people sort of have various stakes in the game. But but to me, it confirmed the fact that, yeah, the buyers, they've engaged in this this process well before they engage with sellers in almost all cases. And I won't say it's 100% of the cases because, you know, nothing's ever 100%. But in the main, that's what's going on. And a, a perfect example that they talked about, which is, I think, the one that sort of makes, makes the case for this, is think about your own history when you browse. I mean, do you ever bookmark a web page? Uh-huh. And why are you doing that? So I can go back to it so I don't forget. Right. Because I don't want to do it. But it's information that you want to use again in the future, right? Right. Well, see, that's what buyers are doing. <laughs> you know, they're going through. And, yeah, they may not have in place a, a buying action, a buying process to you know, actually say, okay, we've got a project we're kicking off to go make this change and buy this type of product or service. But they're constantly gathering information. And just the, the example of a bookmark of a web page. Yeah, we're going through. I'm going to bookmark this. I'm going to come back to it. I do it all the time. I've got things that that I I buy for my business or I buy for myself personally that that I you know I've got organized into my bookmark bar and bookmark bar. Excuse me. Say that eight times. Eight times, real fast. Faster. And yeah, I go back and, and reference it. Well, that's that was me starting my buying journey for that particular product or service. So this is this is yeah a common behavior. So, to me, it reinforces the idea that when a buyer and a seller start talking is that there's a degree of urgency there that oftentimes sellers don't recognize because the buyers have invested time and they are trying to make a decision. And one of the other things that that they talk about in the book, those authors talk about in the book and they found through their research is that um, information that buyers gather proactively, they act on more quickly than information they receive externally. Because so to me this, because they're saying, look, I've invested time in this to proactively gather it in order to earn a return on that time I've invested, which is a concept that I talk about in my first book, then I need to take action. You know, the action may be at the end we decide not to do anything, but they're going to take action. On it, they're more likely to take action faster on information they're proactively gathering. So, if you reach that 
intersection where you and the, the buyer overlap and start interacting, as I've contended, their need is urgent. But so often what we see in, in sales reps is they start going to the, you know, back at the beginning. Right? Let me give you a company pitch. Let me talk about the company. Let me talk about our product. Blah, 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 blah. Whereas the buyer saying, look, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm well past that point. I just need these questions answered, these remaining questions answered to help me be able to make my decision. So I don't, I, my experience of late has been when that the sales team knows if, if a prospect has found them and is in, is proactive in any way, shape or form, that there is a sense of urgency and that's a higher priority that goes to the top of the list. I think what this for me, what I think about is really for, for marketing teams, how do they make sure that they're in in the mix that they're being discovered and found and talked about and bookmarked so that when it when it comes around that the the prospect is likely to reach out to my company about my product or my service because there is that sense of urgency mm-hmm. so how do we how do we get found mm-hmm. and that seems a it's partially marketing, partially sales. I think sales people having a good, um, you know, being being active and having a voice on social media and other places and meetups, and it it helps to make sure that you're part of that research process, even if you don't, even if you're sort of a passive player, but that you are more likely to be part of that research process. So when the time comes that you're being considered. And that you're the one that gets the phone call or the email or the chat or however they choose to reach out. Well, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, and they, again, the authors get into this, uh, they define what's called the, the appropriate influence mix to be able to attract the attention of potential buyers. And that, that that's changing. So marketing, absolutely, you know, this whole issue of sales marketing alignment becomes increasingly critical. And being able to be discovered and have the right messaging that causes someone to say, yeah, I'm maybe in the early days, but that's compelling enough that I'm going to save that and come back to it. I, just, I think it's, I can't wait to read it. I've got a flight. It's not long enough. It's only one hour, but I read pretty quickly. I just don't know that I can get through the book in one hour. I don't think so. No. How, long, how long is it? No, it's it's. Yeah, I, I, read, I read quickly, but okay. it, yeah, it took a couple hours to, at least to go through. So then the other. All book, right, so they're back. They're in back. All right, so that's one book. Right. So the other book I want to talk right. about. Oh dear, another one. Uh oh. Okay, I, I feel myself getting distracted already. <laughs> already yes. Is a fascinating book. It's called Weapons of Math Destruction, and that wasn't me as a having a lisp. That was math, M A T H. Weapons of Math Destruction. I love it. Subtitle, How Big Data Increases Inequality and Threatens Democracy, written by a woman named Kathy O'Neill. And again, a fascinating book. And uh, people are wondering, what's it have to do with sales? I'll, I'll get to that. Is, you know, she was a data scientist, a PhD, taught professor at university, left to become a, a quant, if you will, on Wall Street, uh, writing the algorithms to drive automated trading. And... Yeah, as an aftermath of the crash, began to see sort of the shortcomings in this 
we'll call what she sort of calls an algorithm-driven world. And where you know, algorithms are increasingly used to control aspects of our lives, like you know, credit applications. You know, she gives example after example about you know, algorithms being used in place of humans to make judgments about creditworthiness and how the algorithms use all these different factors like zip codes and so on as indicators of creditworthiness as opposed to looking at the individual themselves. As a result, then you know, have these practices like redlining and so on where people and you know, less economically advantaged areas or economically depressed areas, you know, end up because of zip code end up paying much higher rates on insurance and credit cards and loans and so on, which have nothing to do with the individual themselves. Uh, and then it starts perpetuating inequality in terms of income and debt and so on. And she went through all these fascinating examples about how algorithms are used. And her point, bottom line, was that the trouble with this big data and the algorithms is that every algorithm is based upon assumptions made by people. And that the assumptions are oftentimes biased and flawed. And so then they're replicated throughout the use of the algorithms. So even if you have some sort of machine learning, it's learning based on flawed assumptions. And she could give some compelling examples, you know, like things like prison sentencing. There's software that's used, that's algorithmically based, that, you know, in in some cases, prisoners or people are convicted of crimes. When judges look at the software to determine sentencing, one of the factors that's included is whether there's anybody related to them that also has served a term in prison. And their algorithm then pops up a recommendation for them to have a longer sentence based on the fact they had a relative that had been in prison. So she's saying, you know, we've got these, these basic inequities built into these algorithms and based on these assumptions. And I started thinking about this from a sales context. I mean, I thought it was fascinating talking about the sociological, larger sociological implications. But, but in sales as well, you know, we see this starting to happen because we've got increasing amounts of automation coming into our world in sales. And I was talking to Mary, talking to a client, talking about, yeah, they've got software that call centers use. And on inbound leads, you know, the, the rules are set up that on inbound lead, it always goes to the available agent who's got you know, highest quota attainment. And so I think about that. And my question to him at the time was, well, if you're never given the people that have lower quota attainment, more opportunities to improve and get better and, and do a better job and coach them to improve, then, you know, you're just creating this, this vicious cycle that they're never going to get better and they're going to wash out. And it's all based on the assumption that built into the algorithm, well, you got to give it to the best person. As opposed to, let's get to the people that we write, you know, let's elevate everybody. So anyway, I know we don't have a whole lot of time to, to finish up the discussion, but but it's, it was a fascinating book. And yeah, another one of those that's still thinking about the implications of it in our world, but there clearly are. Yeah, I, I think that it, it, it sort of is along the lines of one of our previous discussions around the sales tools and if they help, are they helping, are they hurting? And, and maybe some of it is, is just these algorithms gone wrong. And I mean, based on human assumption, sometimes that's going to work in our favor that we need the human interaction. And sometimes it's going to be flawed. I, I'm, I, again, I'm distracted 
by wanting to read and understand this. I mean, part of the reason is, is, is I'm in big data and have been in big data and plan to stay in big data. And so the implications for not just sales, but sort of across the board, because it does touch all aspects of our lives, just this proliferation of data. Yes. And the variety of data that's being collected, the velocity at which it's being collected, it's, it's staggering. And it's becoming increasingly difficult to analyze this volume, these volumes of data and gain value from it. And I'm not surprised that we're making bad assumptions. It's, it, there's, there's too much of varying d- d- differences in them that's coming at us too fast. And I think we're making decisions based on this data. And I'm, I'm super curious to read her book and to understand how we can get, how we can get better at using the data to make better decisions, whether they be in sales or some of the social uh, concerns that she brings up. I think it's, um, I'm really looking forward to, to reading it. Which one should I read first? Weapons of math destruction or absolute value? I'm not able to multitask in that way. Right. Like half brain, half brain. Well, I, mean, I think if you're, if you're, yeah, if you prioritize sort of the, the broader, the larger good first is I'd probably start with weapons of math destruction just because it's, it's broader reach beyond just our field. And it's, yeah, it's very challenging for us as, as individuals in the society, individuals that can have an impact on other people is this whole idea of, of how we're using data uh, is very compelling. And so I, I think that's a good place to start, but I would fall right away with absolute value for those of you who aren't perhaps interest in larger sociological implications, you know, start with absolute value, uh, both great books. Andy, very excited. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm super excited that we're at the end of the podcast because I want to start reading. Unfortunately, I can't start reading right away, but these are, I'm, these are two great, great recommendations, very thought provoking relevant. Um, I'm sure these topics will come up. These books will come up again for us. Oh, I think so. I think so. So, well, good. Well, again, I know you need to jump on Amazon to uh, get those ordered before your next call. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. Uh, as always, pleasure to speak with you. Friends who have been listening, thank you again for taking your time to join us. If you have any questions about anything we spoke about or about sales in general, remember, email me at andy at zerotimeselling.com. I believe our next episode will be answering some more questions, user questions, or listener questions, and uh, looking forward to it. And looking forward to talking to you, Bridget. Likewise. Have a great day. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com. 